Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Now you guys have a very unique initiative going on here at the school. Tell us a little bit about it. You want to start? Okay, I'll start. So um, last spring, I was working with a student. Um, he was a senior, and he um, was a varsity-level athlete, and he had come down on his own to ask for support. He was really struggling with depression and anxiety, and upon meeting him, he um, was very open to my recommendations. We got him linked with a therapist, and he was seeing his pediatrician for medication. And so over the course of the few months, we checked in, and um, he had had a rough patch, and he was taken to ECMC. He was having active suicidal thoughts. Upon his release, he came back to see me, and we were checking in around how he was doing, and it occurred to me that he was in mid-season of his sport in the spring. And I had asked him, you know, does your coach know what's going on? Have you talked to any of your teammates on the team? And he's like, well, I did tell my coach, and I, I did tell a couple of the guys that I trust on the team. And I said, you know, we know this doesn't discriminate. There's probably other guys on your team that are struggling as well. What do you think would help them? And he thought about it, and he just looked at me, and he said, well, you know how they have, you know, trainers that come in and talk to us about injury prevention and rest and recovery? And he said, yes. He said, we have to do that for mental health. And it was in that moment that this idea was born. I went to Mr. Culley, to our other social worker, Paul Thompson, and Paul is also um, a D3 lacrosse player, and so this is really um, something that he's passionate about. And the three of us got together, and that's how it started. And there was instant buy-in from administrators, and we began to plan um, the sessions over the summer through a course of getting some more training on how to do this with our athletes specifically, and that's how it started. So tell us a little bit what, what about this initiative is and what the students can learn. So, yeah, so we did a training with Ross Sabo. He's a national speaker, and he had um, a suicide attempt, and he has a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. He's very well known, and is a great speaker. And so his training, really, we, Paul and I did it virtually with him over the summer is really teaching us to share our own personal stories with our own mental health challenges. And there's three reasons that we do this. One is it breaks down the stigma. Two, it normalizes that our athletes and our students are not alone. And three, it gives hope. And so if you can do all three of those things with that talk, that's productive. You know, it's breaking down some barriers so that kids don't feel so alone or so isolated. When we look out in the audience and see the teams that we have that we're teaching, I myself, and I know Paul would feel the same way, um, there's probably about 30 to 40% of those kids that we know that are struggling. And I don't know if they're talking to each other about their struggles. Sometimes when you're going through these things, you feel like you're on an island and you're isolated. And what these talks have done have brought down those walls where you see hands going up that, yeah, I've struggled with a mental health challenge. When did you start, you know, implementing and teaching this to the students? So we started in September. 
We sent out a sign up for all the teams. We had 10 fall JV and varsity teams that we met with. We met with JV and varsity together and we would group them by male or female. Um, some of them we combined together, cross country, a few other of the sports mm -hmm. we combined together, co-ed. And um, there were 30 minute sessions and the majority of the time, the kids and the coaches stayed much longer to talk with us or ask us questions. So we did all of the sessions after school, before practice or their games, September and October. We just completed the winter session. We met with eight of those teams and we're now in the process of planning for the spring sessions too. And in addition, they're doing all the modified teams right now too. How frequently do you plan on implementing these classes into uh, your school and are you looking at student athletes in particular or are you looking to maybe expand to all the students? So this same curriculum that we're doing with athletes, we've already pushed into our health classes to do the same thing. So all students will see this at some point in their high school career. Um, we push into the health classes once a month. Telling our personal story is part of that curriculum. So all students will see this presentation that we give, that Paul and I give. Um, so we're meeting with each team once a year and then moving forward what we'd like to do and it's just in the beginning phases of this, is teach them some mental health strategies for athletes specifically around what helps when you're stressed out, when that anxiety is raised, what can you do, what kinds of skills can you do that help you um, not only take care of yourself, but maybe help your performance in the game as well. So we hope to build on it each year. The one thing that I would also say is this didn't, while the idea here is kind of born of a conversation Tina had with a, with a young person who was struggling, the focus and emphasis on, on youth mental health is not something new. Mm -hmm. You know, in 2018, we began training all of our adults in youth mental health first aid. And I don't think there's any, another school in Western New York that has trained everybody, like everybody, bus drivers, teachers, teacher aides, administrators, everybody who works with children got that youth mental health first aid training. It's a full day training. So it's a significant investment of time and money to, to make sure it happens. And what that does is it makes it explicit that it's everyone's job in the school community. Every adult in our school community, it's your job to look out for the mental and emotional health and well-being of the children in our care every single day. It's not like a, a, a nice collateral benefit because, because we are in a school with kids. It's an explicit uh, expectation that we're all charged with making sure that our kids are mentally and emotionally well. Um, and we've done that in 2018 and in 2021. We did the recertification of all of our teachers, all of our staff in youth mental health first aid. So, you know, all of that really normalizes the conversation about making sure children are mentally and emotionally well, gives people the tools to work with young people um, around whether or not they're mentally and emotionally well. We, we know how to have that conversation with them not everybody's going to be, you know, we're not providing therapy for them, but a listening ear and then a warm handoff to somebody who can really help mm -hmm. so that our children understand that that's something that they can count on us for. So the idea of providing that, that explicit instruction to young people around the strategies and vocabulary related to their own mental and emotional health so that they can you know, understand it better for themselves and maybe address it more proactively rather than being asked you know, that's like a, na a natural extension of the work that we've done with our adults. Mm -hmm. So pushing it into classrooms, pushing it onto our, our teams. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, really a part of our DNA 
as a school district, making sure that we're focused on the mental and emotional wellness of our, of our children and making sure that everybody who works with kids knows that that comes first, right? Making sure they're mentally and emotionally well comes first, then math, you know, making sure they're emotionally well, then practice or the game. Um, and giving all of our adults the permission to do that. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, as the superintendent of schools, my perspective and, and, and belief is that those are the things that have to come first for young people and then the rest. So this is a perfect example of that priority actually being put into practice because as an organization, if you don't walk your talk, uh, then you don't really have any integrity. And I think that we've, through what Tina and Paul do with our athletic director, really does um, demonstrate that we're walking our talk um, and really living the truth that our kids need our help mentally and emotionally first, and then we can help them academically or athletically or in terms of the other ways that they involve themselves in the life of the school. Absolutely. What are some of the you know major takeaways you want um, the students to know, you know, going forward, having learned all this stuff, and are the res- and do you provide them with the resources mm-hmm. that they need um, at any point in time that they might need it going forward after they are? So, what my my hope is, and what we've started to see after the talks, is that it it's just normalized. You know, Paul talks about his time serving in um, the war and and being diagnosed with PTSD. I talk about a suicide attempt I had at age 13. So when you have two adult professionals getting up and telling students our stories, but in a way that gives hope that recovery is possible, my hope for them and the things that I've seen them do is to have that um, barrier removed so that they have some people that they can go to, whether it's us, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a coach, whether it's a staff member, or a friend of theirs. Because what we say to the students is, while this may never impact you, you may never have a mental health challenge, but we can bet that someone you know will. Because we know suicide is one in six kids will have those thoughts. And for a mental health challenge, one in four teenagers will have a challenge, whether it's anxiety, depression, or something else. And so the hope is that they can ask for help and go to people that they feel safe with to start to get the help that they need. When I have groups of kids together, whether I'm mentoring kids for the Academy of Finance or meeting with the student government or sometimes just in a classroom, and I'm in our schools all the time, I often ask the question, um, do you or your friends, you know, the people who you communicate with often uh, and hang out with a lot, um, if something was really happening in your life, is there an adult here at school who you feel close enough and you trust enough to go share that with an, a, with that person? Mm-hmm. And, you know, invariably, the, there's some conversation around. I think most people do feel, you know, that there is somebody here at school who they trust to, to listen, not judge, and then help put them in touch with a person who can kind of take that conversation further. Um, and I think that's something we've really worked hard at over the last, you know, I've been here eight years, really over the last seven years, six years, we've really worked hard at that. And, you know, Tina uh, is really at the heart of that as somebody who's really working in the counseling office with kids. But um, it's a prerogative for us and something that we focus on and, you know, something that allows this stuff to be really productive because not only are we talking about reducing the stigma, go talk to somebody, there's actually somebody they can go talk to. And that's really important. 
I, I can also add for resources, um, everybody gets a bookmark and on the back of the bookmark are skills that they can use mm -hmm. when they're feeling stressed out, but also some resources of crisis number, the crisis prevention suicide lifeline, call or text 988, um, not only going to somebody, but just to give them a takeaway bookmark that they can use that has all of the local crisis service numbers on it in addition to the national hotline 988. How important is it for you know students to just speak up and speak out about their mental health and to share their story with you guys? I think it's really important. I mean, I think, you know, when Paul and I looked to, to share, you know, our own stories, um, it was scary and vulnerable for both of us. We've talked a lot about how, you know, we had to get in touch with that ourselves, but also taking it a step further that if you have a 15-year-old kid who's struggling with the same things, how difficult is it for that 15-year-old to go? and ask for help. So when we share our personal lives with them and what helped us, it gives them um, that ability to say, okay, I'm not alone and there's some other people here that get what I've been through. So it, it's a difficult thing for a student to ask for help. It's hard, it's hard for adults. And so when we have these conversations, we do see an increase in the people that are coming down to the counseling center. We do see an increase of the coaches and the trainers saying, hey, I have a concern about this student. Can you check in with them? We do see an increase in those reports. Um, have any schools in the area, in the school districts, done something you know, similar to this? I'm not aware of it. It doesn't mean it's not happening, but we're with our, you know, I talk to superintendents all the time in my regional role um so um and, and all all of our school districts really do love and care for their children and are doing you know everybody's in their own place in terms of dealing with the mental and emotional wellness of their children whether it's you know starting down the road of youth mental health first aid or some other way um to address that um but i think this is an innovation um uh, that is if not completely new regionally, you know, certainly we're one of the first. There's not too many um, out there doing it now as far as we know. And, you know, our doors are wide open to anybody who wants to come and, and check it out and see what it's like. And, you know, we're happy to help anybody who wants to go down this road. You know, we're happy to help them do it. It's, sometimes it's hard to measure success for mm -hmm. things like this because it's often measured in the people who, like, statistics are always about something terrible that happens to somebody right mm -hmm. so we don't have so what we really have are you know how much more conversation are we having with young people mm -hmm. about how they're feeling mm -hmm. and you know i would say that over the course of the year you know the number of those conversations that you guys are having mm -hmm. has increased dramatically would, would that agree. be fair to say no, i would agree for sure way more referrals particularly among our male athletes they're coming down more to paul and i think that there's something to be said for having a male mentor role model and social worker in the building that more of the guys are asking for help so i think that that's a good mm -hmm. indication yeah you know of of increasing referrals um i do feel like that stigma has come down I see it yeah. coming down year by year because kids are asking, they're emailing, they're coming down. And we talk a lot about how it should be no different than um, taking care of your physical health, medical health. You wouldn't think twice about going to the doctor if you had chest pain and it wasn't going away. Shouldn't be any different if you're looking at a mental health challenge. We should, it should be that normalized, that if somebody's walking out of the gym, you're like, good for them. But if they're walking out of the counseling center, it's like, oh, what happened? to that person or should we, are we giving them the amount of support that they need 
And so it should be no difference, really, your physical health. It's just as important as your, your mental health. Yeah, and I think we've just the, the foot traffic in the office and the amount of time you're spending talking to people, mm -hmm. just that data alone mm -hmm. would tell us that what we're doing is making a difference and having a really positive impact. Mm -hmm. You know, you never get all the way there, you know, because there's always more you can do. Um, but this is something that in and of itself as an innovation uh, has had a significant impact on lowering the barriers to young people to come and talk about it normalizing the conversation so they feel good about it and so they want to continue the conversation which is the other it's one thing to come down the first time but will they come down again mm -hmm. and and i think that that's also uh one of the one of the areas of impact is we'll have the initial conversation but then we'll keep it going and that's when we can help hey rob bradford here i have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what i have known for some time baseball isn't boring now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseballs and boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.